Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly in Youngsville, Louisiana, where it's our vision to be a place to meet with God. We pray that you will find this message to be both encouraging and empowering as we go deeper into the Word of God through Spirit-empowered, life-giving, Christ-centered ministry. For more information about First Assembly or to catch up on previous messages, you can visit our website at firstassembly.place. This morning, I want to talk just real briefly, and I'm going to look in the book of John, chapter 13, uh, verse 34 and 35. I just, as, as I woke up this morning, uh, God just put this, this word on my heart, and he wanted me to share that here, here this morning. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, we have some Bibles in the chair back in front of you. And uh, if, if, if not, if you want to follow along, we'll have the verses of Scripture right here on the screen. John 13, 34, and 35 says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. I believe that what Jesus is beginning to do here is establish something new. Why? Why do I believe that? Because he says it. He just, you know, it's like it's not, it doesn't take any real skills of deduction. He says, I'm establishing a new covenant. He's beginning to do something new. What is that new thing? He says that you should love one another. He says, in fact, people will know that you're my disciples. Why? Because you have love for one another. That is a very profound comment. You see, Jesus is beginning to tell them, you need to love one another. Now, something just has happened in the life of these disciples that was very significant. And I want to talk about that a little bit. But I believe that communion, I believe that the Christian fellowship is more than just about Sunday morning church. I believe that it's about family. I believe, I, we're in the body of Christ. I remember when I was first saved, everybody was brother so-and-so or sister so-and-so, right? It was, it, does anybody else remember that? I mean, it's like those days are, seem like they're kind of drifting away. I want them back, man. Why? Because it really says that we are brothers and sisters in Christ. We're going to have communion here. Amen. We're going to have communion here at the end of service. And, and you know what? Nobody gets a bigger wafer. Nobody gets a bigger cup. We all get the same. Why? Because the mercy of God is the same for everyone. The same grace that's in you is in me. The same faith that God gave you, He gave me. That we're a family. We're brothers and sisters in Christ. That we're a community. How many of you realize in the book of Acts... That, that they begin to sell everything that they had and they would share so that none would have wants. I mean, think about that profound statement. You know, there's people here that may have an electricity bill that needs, needs to be met. Can I do something that's so bold as to say that, that we should help one another with those situations? That we should help one another in our time of need? That doesn't mean just to create an entitlement state. But what that does mean is if someone has trouble in their finances, there's someone here that's a financial manager that can help them. If someone has a leaking roof, we should be able to help one another. We begin to come into agreement with community. Church isn't just a social club. It's not just a popular thing. It's a community of believers brought, brought together by one, for, with one purpose, that we love one another, a new covenant established in Jesus Christ, that we are together in one. I believe that whenever we think about communion, if we look at 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 23, Paul, he sums this up. He says, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you. You see, communion is not about just receiving. It's about receiving and giving. You see, Paul had some understanding about Christ that he gave to others. In fact, he dedicated his very life to sharing the gospel that was extended to him. You know, I, I venture to say, Jesus Christ saved my life from certain destruction and devastation. And many of you can say the same. You know, it's not just about that, that we're just giving back to the Lord. Come on, we can never give back to the Lord. Like Doc said, when we try to compare ourselves to God, it's incomprehensible. But what, what we receive, we're called to give back. Here this morning, we're going to hear some testimonies about the goodness of God. We're going to share in communion, one with another, just sharing the Lord's table. And we're going to experience the baptisms of some, some people who have decided to follow Jesus. 
I believe that these are the elements that really make up the church. It's not worship style. It's not musical flair. It's not what the building looks like. It's not even denominational beliefs. I believe that we do have some strong beliefs, but we need to understand that beliefs without testimonies are just head knowledge. If we're not living the gospel, then we're wasting our time. That these are the elements that make up the church. Communion. A church without communion is a dead church, I believe. I I love to hear the story about this man who was commissioned by a king to paint a portrait of a dead church. And this was a a recent undertaking. So this artist, he goes back and he says that, I can do this, he says, but give me some time. I'm going to put some prayer to it. He begins to pray, and he, about a year later, he brings this painting to a king, and you know, it's, under the, it's got the, the curtain on top of the, the painting, and the king says, let me see it. Let me see what this dead church looks like. Because you know, he was talking about like the, the church in Laodicea, right? He pulls this, uh, the, the curtain off of the, the painting, and he sees this image of a grand church beautifully ornate there was not a single seat that had no one in it people everywhere they had the the minister was there ministering they had the worship team was worshiping people with their hands raised total excitement the king looks at him and says man i thought you said you were going to paint a dead church he says yeah but look closely and he looks over at the baptism tank in the painting and they had a little cobweb between the 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 hose the the uh the faucet and the, and the edge of the tank. You see, a church that doesn't baptize believers is a dead church. Why? Because Jesus said, go into all nations, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You see, the key word there is he says baptizing what? Not baptizing believers, not baptizing new converts, not baptizing babies. He says what? Baptizing disciples or people who are getting baptized today, it's important that we understand this, this is highly symbolic, but I think it's more than that. That it's an act of obedience. That when we say we follow the Lord in obedience, it's an act of faith, a tangible act of faith. Me and Braylon were talking about his, God's really calling him to some great things. And I said, you know, we can't be called to the great things until we begin to be obedient in the simple things. These are the things that make up the church. Discipleship, testimonies, communion, baptisms. All four Gospels record the Last Supper of Jesus with his apostles, the sent ones. But John's account, I believe, is unique as it contains the moments right after supper. I just want to read real quickly. John 13, 3 through 5. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands... And that he had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper, and laid aside his garments. He took a towel and girded himself after that. He poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel with which he was girded. There's been so many messages preached on this very text of Scripture. But I believe that the simple... the, the, the This morning, I want us to get an understanding that this is Jesus we're talking about. The same Jesus that went into the temple. The same Jesus that went into the synagogues and taught and and just totally astounded all of the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the people. They followed him all over the countryside. This is that Jesus who did miracles and miraculous healings on this earth. That same Jesus that cast out demons, that rebuked the demoniac in the Gadareans. It's the same Jesus that rebuked the religious folk in the temple. It's the same Jesus that walked on water and on and on. And this same Jesus bent down. And he began to take his disciples' feet and he began to wash them. He began to wipe them with the towel. This same Jesus that could have simply said, feet be clean decided to serve them instead. Why? Because there's something that's significant about this moment. John 13, 13 through 15, For you call me teacher and Lord, and, I, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. 
You see, Jesus did all of that because he was giving us an example. He was showing us the way to serve one another. It's not just throw some money at him. He could have done any of those things. But Jesus, he began to wash their feet. You see, when you wash the feet, it takes off all of the pain of the past, all of the dirt and grime. In fact, when I was in worship, I had an image that came across my, my face. And I believe, I know it was prophetic because I really don't think about Charlie Brown very often. But in that moment, in worship, whenever we were singing that song, Hallelujah, it is finished, I had this image of Pigpen. How many of y'all remember that? The little guy walking around, he's like walked around in a cloud of dust. He's always dirty. Like he'd be in the shower and dust was flying. But I believe that God is saying even here today that you don't have to walk around in the grime of your past any longer. That that it is finished on the cross. We are made clean, made new, made whole through Jesus Christ. That the blood of Jesus washes away our sins. I believe that even in worship, someone here today feels like pig pen. It may sound silly to me, but to someone else it doesn't. I believe that God is speaking to someone in that. See, foot washing is intimate. It washes away that past, but it also prepares for the future. You know, you have it, you're going out with fresh, clean feet. Class, a refreshed state of mind. It's so personal and intimate. I can, I can just think about those disciples when they were there with Jesus. You know, I mean, when you're washing someone's feet, you're like right there, like looking at them having these conversations. I can just about imagine when he's, he's washing Thomas's feet and he's saying, hey, Thomas, I, I just want to remind you, man, I love you, and I'm coming back. I, I want you to know that, that you're going you're gonna to maybe find some doubt, but I'm coming to you. I'll be back. He said, just, I'm going to show you my hands. I, I know that doesn't make any sense right now today, but it's going to make sense in a few days. Maybe whenever he was talking to, to Peter, he said, Peter, Man, listen, man, I I love you. you're You're the natural leader. You're the one that everyone's looking to. I need you to be strong. Even when you feel like you can't be, even when you fail, I need you to be strong. Think about that, those intimate moments that Jesus had with each individual apostle. Communion is so intimate. It's so personal. All of those apostles, they had an opportunity to have that conversation, that personal touch. I believe that, how many of y'all have ever read the book by Gary Smalley about the love languages? You know, even in that very moment, I believe that Jesus, he was like hitting all of the love languages. He's giving them the gift of clean feet. He's spending quality time with each and every one of them. He's giving them the words of affirmation, of reassurance. He's got that personal touch. You can't wash feet. I mean, he didn't, it's not like he had one of them scrub brushes, right? It's personal. It's an act of service, an act of kindness. But I believe that Jesus' love, Jesus' affection toward his apostles goes so much deeper because it really embodied that agape love, that sacrificial love. You see, Jesus says, I'm doing these things because I'm giving you a new commandment to love one another. This is an example. I believe that the feet washing was an example, but I believe he's saying the cross is an example. That we need to love each other in our life, but we need to give to each other to prepare us for eternity. Jesus says this. He said, there's no greater love than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. Jesus laid down his life for the love of others. He said, a new commandment I give to you, to love one another. Love goes beyond convenience. Love means laying down your life. We do that naturally for our children, but he's not talking about kids or family relationships. He's saying for your brothers and sisters in Christ, in him. We have to begin to use our life to serve others in this life. And we have to be willing to give up our life to serve others in their eternity. You know, the beautiful thing about this is that all those disciples left that that moment and they had different testimonies. They had different stories about what Jesus did. You can even see it in the gospel writings and 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 in the New Testament writings. 
It's the same message, different perspective. I can't wait for that time to go talk to all the apostles and say, hey, man, what, what, what was that conversation like while Jesus is washing off that dirt and grime and filth of your life? I bet you that was the, I mean, no cuticles or whatever, the calluses, they were gone, right? I don't really know that. It's not biblical. Anyway. But I believe we all have a story to share. Amen? This morning, we have a couple of stories I'd like to hear that I just want to ask them, a couple of friends of mine to share their story about what Jesus has done in their life. Why? Because we overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimonies. Amen? So right now, I'd like to go ahead and invite uh, David Clark. If you can welcome David up. He's going to share a testimony about what God's done in his life. Amen. Good morning. So, uh, I guess I'll start at the beginning, right? That's a great place to start. Um, so, I grew up in I, I grew up in a family where we we didn't we didn't go to church every Sunday. We were the Christmas Easter family. I, I know that there are many out there, but we were one of them. And uh, in fact, all, all my brother and I could think of when we were growing up was churches was that place that we had to get dressed up for. So we always hated it, and then we would go play on the playground and get dirty, and our parents would get mad. Uh, so. That was us growing up. We didn't really, we had no, I, I'm telling you, just growing up like that, we had no idea who Jesus was, what that was about, none of that stuff. And then there was a time where my brother came back. He had gone to this conference and he came back and, and he's like, man, he's like, I, I'm not really sure what happened, but it was amazing and I'm getting rid of all of my, uh, all of my, my not Christian music. And we were like, what? And he's like, no, I'm just kidding, I'm just kidding. But really, and he was just like, man, God, God just, he was like, I, something happened. Like, I, like he, 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 uh, he went down and he was just like, I, I feel like I need to, but I'm really not sure. And then he said, God just met him there. Now this is just foreign. I mean, we are not a religious family at all. And so all that happens, right? And, and so now there's just a couple of years and, and this is in the middle of high school. So, I mean, it's not like it's an, any awkward time. So in the middle of high school, my brother gets saved and he starts living for Jesus. And of course, me being the great brother that I am, refuses to believe that that, that change is happening in him. And I, I remember so many times where I would sit and we would, he would try to talk to me about Jesus and I'd be like, you're, not, you're nothing like him, you're nothing like him. And I would, man, I would just, I would curse at him and I would do all those things, right? So fast forward a few years, we're, we're on vacation in, in Florida and I remember we were sitting there, my brother, had, uh, by this point he had picked up a guitar. We had sang all of our lives, all of our lives, my brother and I both together. And, uh, and he picked up, uh, he actually picked up playing guitar. And so for a couple of years he'd been practicing and he'd really gotten good. He was in a band. And, uh, and I remember this one night in particular, we were sitting out on the beach, and he had his guitar, and we were, we were singing this song. It's, it's a song called Agnes Day. And I remember singing it, and man, I, I mean, I really liked the song, but I really like, and I like singing, and I like singing with my brother. It was, it was great. We had this really great time. It was, it was I mean, it was just, I, rem- I still remember it being just this really, really great time. I don't think I had any clue what I was singing, just that it was just these words, and it was a good song, right? So fast forward a few years after that. Now, I went off to college. I got saved. Jesus did some amazing things in me. Uh, in fact, when you were talking this morning about brother and sister, my brother used to make fun of me because then everybody was brother and sister. Brother so-and-so, sister so-and-so. And he was like, uh, years later, he was like, man, used to, it was like everybody was like that. And I was like, I, I, don't, I don't really remember being like that with everybody. But anyway, so, uh, so fast forward a few years, and I remember we were in this worship service. This was at the, uh, at the other building at 605. And, uh, and we started singing that song. We started singing Agnes Day. And I remember just worshiping. And I was like, man, I really like the song. It's so great, so great, so great. And then God spoke to me. He was like, and it was like I could see myself sitting on that beach and singing that song. And he's like, but now you're singing it for me. Man, it really, even, man, even now, like it really, <laughs> it meant something. Because it was like this was the first real realization just one of those one of those times. There was there were there were really two I think two distinct times like that. There was one where me and my brother it was the first time that me and my brother had sang together after we were both saved. And then there was this time where where we got to sing the song where I was singing the song in in worship and it was like the Lord was like you're singing that for me. And I I don't even remember if I'd sang that song again before, but that was the first time that it had really become real. Or it was just like one of those things where it just, it, that the difference between who I used to be and then who I was, where they, they just kind of came together, right? We all have those times in our life, right? Where all of a sudden you're reminded of who you used to be and you, you realize, 
man, I'm really nothing like that anymore. Isn't that awesome? Awesome how God does that for us. So, uh, so hey, this morning, listen, uh, I, I think that they're going to maybe put the words up, but, uh, but we're going to sing that song. Uh, it's a really super simple song, um, but I'd like to sing that if we could. And we can all worship with that. Hallelujah, Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Hallelujah, God Almighty reigns. Alleluia. Holy, holy are you Lord God Almighty. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is the Lamb, for you are holy, holy. Are you Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb. Sing that verse again, Alleluia. And Alleluia. Alleluia. For the Lord God, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. Now sing Hallelujah again. And Alleluia. Hallelujah, for the Lord God Almighty reigns. And hallelujah, sing holy, 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 are you? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, for you are holy, holy. Are you Lord God Almighty? Worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, let's sing worthy. And worthy is the Lamb, worthy is the Lamb, amen. Come on, can we give him praise this morning? He's so amazing. Isn't the Lord amazing? Man, he really is. He really is. Well, thank you guys for so much for your time. Amen. Hallelujah. Hey, man. Love you, man. It's like in that, in that moment, in that moment, you come to that realization. Just like those, those disciples, as they're sitting there with Jesus, they go through this communion, and they realize in that moment that their life is changed forever. That we sing a new song. It's not a song with lyrics that are discernible by our own minds or songs that we can even put together a melody, but it's a melody of the heart. As we sing hallelujah. You know, I love what Pastor Tommy 
said, oh, hey, Pastor Tom, man, I just looked up, there you were. He used to say that, you know, hallelujah, it's the same in every language, right? You can go anywhere in the world, hallelujah. Everybody knows that. That word is, is, is simply this, it's a Hebrew word for praise God. Halal al Yahweh. Praise be to God. Come on, we just, we're praising the one who saved us. Amen? Amen. You know, so many of us are impacted in certain ways in, in our lives. And I like to share this, that many of us, we, we, when I ask them to share a testimony, they go right back to salvation, right? They begin to talk about how God delivered them out of wretchedness. And all of us have that story. I mean, we're all saved by grace, right? Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a what? A wretch like me. But I want you to know, if the last thing that's happened in your Christian walk was salvation, then you might not be doing it right. But we should all have a, sal- a testimony after salvation. God continually doing things that are amazing in our lives. Amen? So while I was asking, I was talking about sharing a testimony, I was talking to someone about a testimony, and, and they, just, they, you know, they just didn't feel like this was the, the Sunday. I said, that's okay. And in that exact moment, Sister Margaret Byer came, and she handed me an envelope. And she said, I've been holding, wanting to give you this for a few weeks, but right now I just, I just feel like the Lord just wants me to give you this. So boom, she hands it to me. What's in it? A testimony. I said, that, what divine? It doesn't get more providential than that. So at this time, I want to invite Sister Margaret Byer up. Can we just give her a warm welcome? Miss Margaret is a faithful saint. She, she is here every Tuesday morning, faithfully praying and interceding on the behalf of the saints. And she has an incredible story to share this morning. You good? She wore all purple. I told her purple is the color of royalty. Amen. <laughs> Amen. Thank you. I'm not going to sing. You can thank me later. <laughs> Well, this is just one of many, many stories that I have. I mean, I am 70, so that's a lot of years of living. But this is the one that God wanted me to share with you today. And I'm really glad to see all of you here. First, Father, please help me to say only those things you would have me say and everything that you would have me say. For your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. Now I want you to be thinking about Romans 5, 8. But God proves his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Now, this is a story from 1980. I was not saved. I wrote it out. I'm going to read it mostly, okay? Are you here because of the needle in your toe? The doctor at Shawnee Mission Medical Center asked me. What needle? The one in the second toe of your left foot. No, I'm here to see if anything's broken. Somewhat puzzled about the prize in my toe. Nothing's broken, he said. Well, maybe no bones were broken, but my world was rocked to the point of crumbling. And my 1970 Chevy Impala was inoperable, somewhere on I-35 north of Kansas City. I left work a little early that Friday so I could get to Nebraska before dark. A combination graduation birthday party was being given for my brother Tom and my sister Cheryl, respectively. And everyone was going to be there. Even though my car wasn't new, it ran fairly well, thanks to Mary's husband, Fred. Mary and I had been friends all of our lives. We're still friends today. Needless to say, I was bewildered when my car started sputtering and making funny noises. Finally, I managed to pull off the road safely. The engine died. 
before I unlatched my seatbelt, a still small voice told me not to accept a ride from anyone. I called that my sixth sense or my woman's intuition. A mobile phone was a luxury I couldn't afford in 1980. So I grabbed my overnight bag, locked the car, and started walking. Almost immediately, a man in a small gold Toyota pickup pulled over in front of me. You need some help? No thanks. He got out of his vehicle but left it running. Quickly, he popped the hood of my car. In those days, you know, you couldn't lock your cars, the, the hood anyway. So, whoop, see the red flag? I ignored it. He looked at the engine and said in no time he could fix it if we just got the right part. Uh, I was really kind of hoping that somebody a little more appealing like a family or a woman would have stopped to help. No. With some hesitation, I broke my own rule. Another red flag. I got in his truck. We went to the Chevron station. I bought the part. He put gas in his vehicle, which he left running because he said if he turned it off, he couldn't get it started. Yeah, and yet he's going to fix my car. <laughs> right. Okay, I probably don't have to keep doing this. I could leave this up the whole time. You get the idea. So we got back on I-35, and we were going way over the speed limit, about 85 or 90, and he missed the exit. I told him so. Well, he smiled at me and said, oh, he wanted to stop at a friend's house first. I was at his mercy. So we went um, to a remote area up a red dirt driveway to an old dilapidated house. He got out of the truck, and I thought about driving away, but just that quick, another guy came out of the house. My gut instinct, which I ignored earlier, told me that this new guy wasn't likely to help me. Now, I'm pretty sure I unknowingly witnessed a dope deal. My captor got back in the truck, drove to the interstate, resuming the 85 to 90 miles an hour. At this point, I wasn't sure where we were, so I asked how far it was to my car. He told me he wasn't taking me to my car. Instead, he wanted me to go to a party with him. I let him know I was already expected at a party and that I'd be missed by my family if I wasn't there. Then I saw the switchblade in his hand. He kept driving. I started making plans to escape. As this guy continued to talk about the party, it became increasingly clear that his true intentions were to take me somewhere out in the country and rape me. He told me so as he caressed my neck with the knife. Trying to buy more time, I suggested that we go back into the city so we could use my apartment. We'd be more comfortable. That really made him mad, really mad. And he was just screaming, no, I can see you're not that kind of girl. Well, that's good to know, I thought, because it had crossed my mind that the small pink feather earrings I was wearing had given him the idea that I was a tramp. He seemed to get a lot of satisfaction in telling me that I'd be lucky to live when he was finished with me. And I thought, yeah, one of us is probably going to die trying tonight. Without warning, he slammed his right hand into my chest. I wanted to break his arm, but not at the risk of crashing at such a high speed. I would just have to wait for another opportunity. He reached into his pocket and produced a bag of marijuana and some papers. He threw it in my direction and ordered me to roll a joint. I did, and somehow it held together. He took a hit and he asked me if I wanted one. 
I said I didn't smoke, and he told me I needed to start. So I put the joint to my lips, and I faked it, and he knew. He got so mad, he said I had to do better. So this time I pretended again, but I just made a lot more air sounds. It was enough to shut him up. With darkness starting to fall, I knew I needed to make a move and make it soon. We exited the interstate where we came to a T in the road. This was my opportunity. Taking the right turn on two wheels, he ran the stop sign. I opened the door and jumped from the vehicle. My feet got caught in the door and I was dragged along the pavement. When the truck finally stopped, my feet slipped out of my shoes and I was acutely aware of the rear wheel in perfect alignment with my head. Oh, he became a monster, a shrieking, shrieking, screaming monster at that point. I ran into the ditch, but I remember thinking he won't turn off his truck because he can't get it started if he does. Just like that, he drove away. I watched until the taillights were out of sight. Shaking, I climbed the embankment to the road where I discovered my overnight bag and my shoes. Then it hit me. I wasn't hurt. How could that be? In the distance, headlights approached. Was he coming back? I crouched in the ditch until the vehicle was close enough for me to get a glimpse of the driver. It wasn't him. Apparently, I went unnoticed as I ran onto the road. To make matters worse, it started to rain. A second vehicle came from the same direction, and my attempt to flag it down was also unsuccessful. And I started to cry a little. Finally, a third vehicle came, almost stopped. By then, I was out there, you know, but they didn't stop. I was close enough to see that the occupants were what I then considered to be an elderly couple. They're probably younger than I am now, but frustrated. I threw my shoes and hit their car, and I screamed at them. I just said, how dare you ignore me? Well, much to my amazement, they stopped, and they backed up. After listening to my plight, these kindly people drove me to a nearby hotel where someone called the police. I called Mary and Fred, who came to get me. Mary was a nuclear medicine tech at Shawnee Mission Medical Center, so she arranged for me to get x-rays that night. Imagine that all the x-rays showed after everything I've just described was a needle stuck in the second toe of my left foot. God went to great lengths to rescue me that Friday in May 1980, even when I wanted nothing to do with him. However, on January 19th, 1986, I surrendered my very messy life to Jesus, the lover of my soul. The one who died for me. I wasn't the only prodigal ever, I know that. You know, prodigal, someone who wastes resources, irresponsible. Well, my inoperable Chevy wasn't much of a resource. My life was my main resource and I was wasting it. But again, I wasn't the only one. We all know someone, someone who really needs to totally surrender to God. I want to encourage you, keep praying, forgive them, love them. God will give them the perfect opportunity for them to escape their life of sin and to totally surrender to him. I had to pray and forgive and love this guy in the story because it's what Jesus told me to do. Love your enemies. Everything was covered at the cross. Romans 5, 8, but God, 
proves his love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Thank you. Such an encouraging testimony. I'll help walk you down. Okay. Amen. You know, God is so good that that, that what Miss Margaret had shared that that while we were yet sinners, Christ dies for us. You know, Jesus isn't waiting for you to clean up your life in order to save you. He's not waiting for you to, to change some things that He can set you free. He's not waiting for you even to make a decision before He makes His. He's already made it. The truth is, is that no matter what the circumstances we're coming from, our promises are still the same. That Jesus came to give life, and that life more abundantly. And I'm so glad to say that, Miss Margaret, you made the decision to jump. <laughs> and how did the, the needle in the toe it turn out? Did they get that out of there? It's still there. There you go. <laughs> Amen. You know, I hope you're encouraged by that because you can know that God is always fighting for us. He is always looking out for us. I can tell you a hundred times in my own life of times where, man, had it just been natural circumstances, I would probably be dead or in jail. But God. My favorite two words in the Bible, but God. Amen. You know, this is really what communion is about. Sharing our story, sharing our testimony, sharing the things that God has done in our life. It's about reflecting on God's grace. We all have, in fact, a grace story. I would encourage you right now that you can just begin to think about that. Think about your story. Think about what God has done in your life. Think about what Jesus has done to make you free, even now. Think about your own testimony. I want to ask if the ushers would come forth as we just prepare for communion. I'd also like to ask that the worship team come forward. And those who are being baptized, if you would go and just go meet in the lobby. And as we just prepare for, for that. Here this morning as we just share in communion that common fellowship that we have one with another. I want you to know that if, if this is your first time here, if you're a guest of ours, you're welcome to partake of communion with us if you've followed the Lord in salvation and baptism. We'd ask that when you receive the elements, if you would just hold on to them as we just partake all together. Paul says this in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, he says this, he says, but let a man examine himself. That really communion is about a time of self-examination. That if you, have, if you have sin in your life, that how many of you know God is not intimidated by that? He gave his son for you. It's a time for repentance. Dr. Lynn said it earlier that we, to stay humble before the Lord, repent often. It's a time for recognition. It's a time for remembering God's grace in our life. As the ushers begin to serve, if you go ahead and serve, I want to just take this as an opportunity to remember God's grace. To be encouraged by the testimony of others.
look to you. we look to you. And as we're just passing and preparing, we're waiting on one another. As you take that communion tray and you hand it to the person next to you, know that you're just not passing it. You're serving that person next to you. That you're serving the body of Christ to the person next to you. That God is using you in that moment. That when you pass that tray, that blood, that cup, the fruit of the vine, the blood of Jesus, that you're serving that, that you're helping to be part of that body ministry Lord I pray that even now Lord you can just begin to reveal to us Lord Lord make our hearts new today let us remember the grace of God let us remember those moments Father that you met us that you encouraged us Paul reminds us, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. You know, Jesus really did practice what he preached. He says, love your enemies. He didn't say that flippantly. He lived that. And when he had given thanks... He broke it and said, take, eat, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. If you can't take that, that, that wafer, this, this bit of matzah, unleavened bread, that some of you may have a piece that you notice is pierced. 
or it may have some stripes upon it. You know, this is what the Jews did use for Passover. This very bread that represents the body of Christ and his it says in Isaiah that he was pierced. That he was bruised by his stripes you were healed. That when we receive this, we receive him. Lord Jesus, we thank you, Father, for your body that was broken for us. That this little piece of bread symbolizes such great sacrifice. Lord, help us remember the grace. Help us remember your healing. Help us remember your mercy. Lord, thank you for your body broken. That we can have healing. Lord, that we can have freedom. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's protect together. If you could take the cup. Paul continues in the same manner. He also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. This cup of the new covenant that Jesus says that new covenant to love one another. That the blood shed on Calvary was an expression of His love for each and every one of us. That it says that the blood of Jesus covers a multitude of sin. It says that His blood washes us white as snow. That we have healing. We have new life in His blood. That we have new covenant. We have new hope in His blood. Lord, let us remember You in this moment. What You have done in our lives. Lord, we thank You for Your blood that was shed for each and every one of us. In Jesus' name we pray. Let's partake together. We hope that you found this message to be both a blessing as well as challenging. If you would like more information or to leave a comment or prayer request, please visit our website at firstassembly.place. Thank you for tuning in to First Assembly, a place to meet with God.